0: It's an honor to be here today. So thankful for my wife who came to support me because she knows that I need it. I also want to be very thankful for another group of people who are here today. Um, Some of you know I attend a Hispanic uh, uh, fellowship group that meets at Wedgwood Baptist Church. And the pastor of that group, Limwell Lara, is here today with some folks from our church. And I want to tell you the great thing about being in this group. This is the most patient group of people uh, because one of the things that I do from week to week there is I try to learn Spanish. And it, it's not easy to learn another language, and you need people who are patient with you, right? But I'm telling you, something wonderful has happened the last couple of years. I've seen wonderful progress, and I'm here to tell you today, es posible aprender español en la iglesia con tus hermanos en Cristo. It's possible to learn Spanish in church with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. So thank you for coming, I really appreciate it. Now, as Dr. Patterson alluded to earlier, I have done a little study in the book of Revelation. And um, one of the things that I really like about the book of Revelation is just how rich the book is. We're gonna be looking at Revelation 18 today, so you might wanna turn there. And while you're doing that, I would like to teach you one of the first things I learned at church. One of the best phrases in Spanish that everyone needs to know is a phrase that every Christian needs to know. Que Dios le bendiga. May God bless you. So today, you're going to help me get my jitters out before the sermon by it. We're going to learn this phrase together, right? So I'm going to give you word by word, and you're going to repeat after me. The first word is que. Que. Dios. Dios. Le. le. Bendiga. bendiga. Now say it together. Que Dios le bendiga. Now it's up to real speed. Que Dios le bendiga. Now, you may not have learned that, but if you did, say that to about five people on your way out of here today, and then as you walk this campus, there are lots of people who walk this campus every day who know what que Dios le bendiga means. Amen? So the ultimate question I want to look at today is one that we're all challenged with. Are we faithful to Jesus in the midst of a secular world? Are we people who are living lives that are faithful to Jesus in the midst of a secular world? And we're going to do that of Revelation 18, but if you've looked at Revelation 18 at all, that's the fall of Babylon. So we can't start there because you wouldn't figure out exactly what I'm going to talk about. So we have to do a little bit of background from Revelation 17. So look at Revelation 17, verses 1 through 5. It says... Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed harlotry. They have played the harlot and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her harlotry. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her harlotry. And on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now, in order to understand the passage we're looking at today, you have to think about the fact that in Revelation, there are two kingdoms. And there are two very important figures in the book that have to do with heading up those two kingdoms there's the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is also the unholy trinity, the dragon or the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. There's two kingdoms then, the kingdom of God and of his trinity, the kingdom of the devil and of his trinity. It's fundamental to understand the book of Revelation to see this, and each kingdom has a city, amen? Now, we love the city that has to do with our kingdom, because the city associated with our kingdom is what? What? the new Jerusalem. The other kingdom also has a city. And as we're going to talk about today, that kingdom and its city has been manifested in many cities throughout history. It's manifest in our world now and will be manifested at the time of the end. Let's look over at Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not And is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, they are also seven kings. Five of these kings have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain for a little while. Now, as you know, the book of Revelation, there's many ways to interpret various things in the book. If you don't know that, you've never read anything other than just the book. Amen? But I'm going to give you a brief explanation of how I would interpret these verses and how that leads into what we're going to talk about today. Notice that the woman is the city of the beast. She sits on the beast. It associates her with, she is sitting on these seven mountains, which are the seven heads of the beast. And notice verse 10. There are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and there is one yet to come that must remain for a short time. What does that imagery mean? The imagery means that the rule of the beast is about over. Five are in the past. There's only two left. One is now. The beast has a past. The beast has a present, and the beast has a future. And the past is a, has come to a close. The present is nearing the end. You only have one after that, and that's one more reign of the beast in which the beast himself will come out of the abyss, amen, and then go to destruction. And who destroys the beast? You know the answer. It's who? The lamb, amen? Now, for our purposes this morning, we need to think about the fact that the beast has a past. There's many anti-God rulers that would represent the heads of the beast in the past, probably more than five. But in the Old Testament, you start to see some very significant figures who would have been figures that would qualify as past heads of the beast. I'm just going to name a few of them. Nebuchadnezzar. Which city did Nebuchadnezzar rule over? What was his main city? Babylon. You're already familiar with that from chapter 17. Amen? The book of Revelation also makes allusion to Egypt when it was ruled over by the Pharaoh at the time of what? The Exodus. The book of Revelation alludes to the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre rules over Tyre. And this is especially associated in the book of Revelation with an economic critique because Tyre is led into sin by her covetousness and the covetousness of her king. Her trade, her practices get her involved in sin. The book of Revelation also alludes to several other harlot cities. Two prominent ones are Samaria. Samaria is the capital city of what? Israel, the northern kingdom. If you read the Old Testament, the kings of the northern kingdom were always practicing idolatry and leading the people into idolatry. Amen? In the Old Testament, what's that called? One of the Old Testament terms for idolatry is playing the harlot. Playing the harlot is to be unfaithful to God, right? That's the, the if you look at that, it's a very literal translation of the Hebrew uh, verb there, zanah, having to do with playing the harlot. Unfortunately, that's not the end of the story playing the harlot in the Old Testament, is it? Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom, also has kings that sometimes play the harlot. Amen? And that lead Judah and Jerusalem also to play the harlot. There are times in her history where, unfortunately, Jerusalem also has been part of this. Not under every king, but under some of those unrighteous kings. Amen? So it's very important then to think about the fact that the beast has been manifesting his rule in the world throughout history in various anti-God rulers and the cities associated with them. And one of the big intentions of the beast in his rule through these various anti-God rulers is to use the harlot to draw us into sin. And what does the harlot use? Well, she uses many means. We're going to talk about some of them today. But one of the means she uses is found in Revelation 13, verse 17. Look in Revelation 13, verse 17. It says in that verse, and he, meaning the false prophet, makes it so that no one will be able to do what? Buy or sell except the one who has the mark either the name of the beast or the number of his name what does this mean this means that one of the aspects of the beast's rule that he's employed throughout history to pull us into sin is he tries to control wealth right he tries to control wealth that's not saying that all wealth is evil but it's telling you that one of the things the other kingdom tries to control is wealth and worldly possessions because guess what you can get if you're wealthy? You can also achieve power, amen? And you can use wealth to buy so many things through which you can receive the pleasures of this life and you can influence other people, amen? Like I said, not all wealth is evil, but the beast's use of wealth is evil. And he wants to use it to influence all of us to draw it into his kingdom. And we can see that in Revelation 18. Now, Revelation 18 is a long chapter. This is a little risky. I'm going to read the whole thing because it's a very dramatic chapter. And then we're going to talk about what things I want you to notice in chapter 18. Let's read Revelation 18 together says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great glory, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons and a prison for every unclean spirit and a prison for every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her harlotry, and the kings of the earth have committed harlotry with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her luxury. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. So that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back, even as she has paid. Give her the exact duplicate that fits with her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix the exact duplicate for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, To the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord who judges her is strong. And the kings of the earth who committed harlotry and lived luxuriously with her, will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, whoa, whoa, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore." And boy, did they have some cargos, cargos of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves that is human lives the fruit you long for has gone forth from you and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you and people will no longer find them the merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, the one who is clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great weight has been laid waste. And every shipmaster, and every passenger and sailor and as many as made their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads, and they were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste." Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone. He threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and all who have been slain on the earth. There's no way we can look at all of that today, but I would like to focus your attention for just a moment on the people who are weeping and mourning and what they are weeping and mourning about. Amen? Who are the weepers and the mourners? They are the kings of the earth, the ones who made close partnerships with the harlot. Amen? They are the merchants of the earth who used the harlot's fame and wealth and they went out and traded with her and they used her influence to get in with other countries and they were making oodles of money trading with her. Selling all these fine things in that list there, which you would love to have. Gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen. Amen? The people who had ships, who got the stuff from place to place, they are weeping and mourning. But what do the saints do? Are the saints weeping and mourning? No, the saints are what? Rejoicing. Amen? What does that tell you about who has their treasure where? Where did the merchants and the king, did these merchants and kings and ship owners, where did they have their treasure? It was all connected up with Babylon and her kingdom and her influence, amen? And when that kingdom went down, what happened? They lost it all. It's like thinking about the worst stock market crash you can ever think of. They lost it all, amen? Because they made what? What? A bad investment. Amen? They were about the wealth, the worldly pleasures, and the fame that the harlot could give. And when she goes down to the bottom of the sea, they weep and lament and mourn. Amen? Now, there's a very important verse in here that I want us to look at verse four. I think verse four is a very important verse because I think that this is the verse in the chapter through which. We are being addressed right now. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not do what? Participate in what? In her sins and do what? Receive her plagues. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not do what? Participate in her sins and receive her plagues. Now, why would I relate that verse to us right now? If you've read the book of Revelation carefully, you know that the end comes quickly. When the end starts coming and the, king, the, the other kingdom, the beast kingdom start being judged, it's too late at that point to start trying to pull out of her. She's going down. She's gonna be a sinking ship at that point. You have to come out of her now. If you do not want to receive of her plagues, you cannot currently participate in her sins. You need to depart from Babylon. By the way, this is very apparent in the seven letters to the seven churches. Some of the seven letters, some of those churches have done a good job of departing from Babylon, but most of them have not, amen? Most of them, there are many people in those churches who are compromising with Babylon. And the message is, come out of her. Do not participate in her sins. Now we're gonna look briefly at some of her sins. As you know, uh, Revelation has several lists of sins. One of those lists is in chapter 9. Look at Revelation chapter 9 for one of the lists of sins in the book of Revelation. There are many lists, there's at least three or four of these lists, but this is one of the lists. It says, Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, which was referenced in the psalm that was read earlier uh, today. Now, what is this? In the book of Revelation, all worship of demons and all worship of idols is ultimately worship of what? The beast. The beast is the false god. Whenever you worship a demon or an idol, you're actually worshiping the beast. The book of Revelation makes this very clear. In certain places, it says there are only two kingdoms. You either worship God or you worship what? The devil. There is no in-between world. Whenever you're worshiping something other than God, according to the book of Revelation, you're worshiping the devil, the beast, the other kingdom. Amen? Amen. Now, look at verse 21. Verse 21 has some remarkable similarities to things like the Ten Commandments. They did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. In that list, the only odd item there is sorceries right in the middle. What in the world is that? Sorceries in the book of Revelation is appealing to the other kingdom, to the beast, to demons. For what? For power to do what you want. Amen? Black magic. You're appealing to the other kingdom. The Bible has nothing good to say anywhere about sorcery and about appealing to anything other than God for your help. Amen? Now, you'll notice something missing from that list that comes up in chapter 18. What's missing from that list is covetousness, desiring things that you do not have. But you can see that's a prominent theme in the book of Revelation, and Revelation 18 fits very perfectly with that theme. Amen? Now, what does Jesus say about this? Let's look at, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, in my opinion, contains some of the most Uh, relevant teaching that illustrates for you or that connects for you with the teachings of Revelation 18. Jesus himself gives you the type of teaching that helps you understand what Revelation 18 is trying to tell you. Amen? Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures where? Where? On earth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's foolish because moth and rust will destroy them. Thieves can break in and steal them. Or if should you be unfortunate enough, you can be flooded and they can be washed away. But store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Because the good thing about heaven is there's no moth and rust that can destroy it. There's no thieves who can break in and steal it. But look about verse 21. Where your treasure is, what is the case? Where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. Amen? Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or God and wealth. Now... The beast is very well aware of this. So the beast working through the harlot in the world is trying to draw us into his kingdom using some of these natural sinful desires that we have because we want some wealth, right? Enough to live, enough to do things, but we always want what? More, amen? We want some worldly pleasures. You know, we want to do some fun things. We want to use money that we have to enjoy life. But once we do our worldly pleasures, we usually want what? More, right? We want fame and power that money can so often give us. But once we get a little taste of it, we often want what? More, amen? And the beast and the harlot whispered in our ear, I know a really good way that you can have some more, amen? And guess what the beast and harlots say? They entice us with things that are against the will of God, saying, if you just did it my way, you could have more. If you read the seven letters of seven churches, there are many Christians in those churches who are listening to the seductive voice of the harlot. Amen? Now, as I was thinking about this today and thinking about illustrating this for us, I thought to myself, uh, it's actually harder to come out of Babylon than just something it's not something simple right it's not something straightforward all of our lives we have to be on alert on watch for babylon amen you have to think what is babylon and what is the kingdom of the beast trying to entice me into where do they have my attention and in each one of us there are aspects of us and our thoughts and our minds and our lives the beast and the harlot know our secrets And they know where to entice us. Amen? Now, it's often because we're people, we often watch other people, and it's often easier to spot other people's sins. Have you noticed this? It's often easier to see that other person's sin than to see your own. Amen? It's often easier to see their sins. so You look at someone else, you're like, look, they're taking a turn away from God. They are being enticed by wealth and power and fame and the things of this world. And they're taking a turn, amen? And the hard part is sometimes those people are your friends and even your family members. Now, I find that it's always harder to spot in yourself, Amen? Because you have a way, we have ways of explaining what we do, of justifying ourselves, of thinking good about ourselves, which is good. We want to think good things about ourselves. But sometimes we can gloss over the ways in which we're being tempted. Now, I'm just going to share with you one brief form of temptation that I sometimes face. And I'll relate that to a common temptation that people in ministry face. Sometimes when I'm having those types of dark thoughts that you really should not dwell on, I think to myself, what am I doing wrong? Why is it that I have such trouble getting my books published? Why is it that no one is seeking me out for that big speaking engagement in X or Y venue? Why is it that no one seems to notice that what I'm doing? I seem to be working here in anonymity in so many different ways. In that moment, guess what the harlot can whisper into my ear? I know a way. And you just make some compromise here and some compromise there and suddenly you could be off to the races. I can help you get what you want. You see it in lots of people in ministry. One of the struggles of people in ministry have in so many cases, God puts you in places where you labor in virtual anonymity. People don't know all that you're doing. And in those moments, the harlot can come and whisper in your ear, I have a way for you to get what you want. It happens to you if you're in college or seminary in here because you're thinking about, oh man, so hard to go to college and seminary. I have to, to save every dollar. It's so hard to do what I have to do here. It can be so hard to enjoy what I'm doing here. And the harlot can whisper in your ear, I have a way. I can help you find that money that you want. I can help you enjoy life more. Hey, turn in my direction. And Dr. Patterson could share with you many, many people who've listened to that voice and who've gone down that road. But one of the greatest things that we have in Christ is we have each other. Amen? It says here, come out of Babylon. Do not participate in her sins. One of the greatest things about being strongly invested in the body of Christ is hopefully you have people in your life who could be like, no, you, you don't wanna go that way. The road of compromise is not for you, amen? Now, that's the negative example. Let me give you the positive example. Um, this is a little emotional for me, so it may get a little emotional here, but I, I have, something happened to me it was several years ago. I was here teaching at Southwestern, and one of our colleagues said he was gonna have a prayer meeting on Fridays. His name was Bob Bernard. Now, I started going to this prayer meeting with Bob Bernard. Excuse me. And Bob Bernard and I used to sit and pray on Fridays and talk. And one of the greatest things about those moments is I knew Bob. I knew he had a PhD from Princeton. I knew he was a very brilliant person. But Bob taught me some things about how to resist the temptation to be all about you and your kingdom. Because whenever I met with him, at this point when I was doing all these things, he, was, he had lung cancer. He was, he was always thinking, though, about me, about other people, about what was happening in God's kingdom. We would pray for things all over the world. And it was never about Bob. As sick as he was, it was about so many other things. Amen? And as I would sit with him week after week, I would think to myself, this is what I want to be like. When I grow up, and you think to yourself, thank you, Lord, for putting in my life people who show such a steadfast example of wanting to glorify God and avoid the road of compromise. Amen? Now, here's the good news. Each and every one of us sitting in this room could be a Bob Bernard for one or more or dozens or hundreds of people. Amen? Because people around us are watching us, amen? And they want to see, are we going to compromise? Remember the theme of this morning's sermon. Are we going to be faithful to Christ in the midst of a secular world? And the people around us are watching us, wondering if we will be that example, if we will be that anchor for them, amen? And by the grace of God, by the strength of God, by the work of God, Hopefully we can be like Bob. Now it seems to me very fitting that you end up a sermon in the book of Revelation, you have to think about the exhortation that is given to the, to the seven churches. What is the exhortation the book of Revelation gives to the seven churches? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right? And those of you who know me know what's gonna come next, Right? Hayakon us akusato, ti tapnuma legatis ecclesias. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today, to open your word. I pray, Lord, that if there was anything meaningful and helpful, and encouraging, and worth holding on to that was said today, that you would bury it deep in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to encourage us to come out of Babylon, to encourage us to be people who would be 100% faithful to you, or at least as faithful as we possibly can be by your power at work in us. Help us, Lord, to be those examples, to be the anchor, to be those that other people can look at saying, that person has their treasure in heaven rather than having their treasure on earth. Praise you, Lord, for the wonderful people you sent our way, people like Bob and many other people who've shown to us the other way. Thank you especially for Jesus, who has shown to us the way to live and shown us the ways of the kingdom of God. We pray these things, Lord, in Toanamati Jesu Christu, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.